Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you And then everyone else will believe you too And if it looks like you're the only believer around Just keep on believing, don't put yourself down Just believe Our guest this week grew up in Kansas City, Missouri Earned a BA in Psychology from Stanford University While playing on its golf team He won 39 events on the PGA Tour, including the 1977 and 81 Masters, the 1982 U.S. Open, as well as the British Open five times. He was the number one ranked player in the world from 1978 to 1982 and was regarded as one of the four best golfers in the last 50 years. His name, Tom Watson. And I'm Jack Crisula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. And with Tom Watson, who won 39 events on the PGA Tour, including the 1977 and 81 Masters and the 1982 U.S. Open and the British Open for five times. Tom, welcome. An honor to have you. Thank you, Jack. Glad to be here. Can we start by talking about your mom and your dad, please? Well, the, you know, I think the most important thing I learned from my parents is uh, a work ethic. Uh, most important thing for my dad, uh, as far as my golf game was concerned, he he started me off when I was six years old. Uh, five iron, I think it was, and uh, he said, uh, "All right, here's what you do: spread your feet and turn your back to the target on your backswing, and when you follow through, you finish with your belly button facing the hole." But the most important thing he taught me was the grip, and he told me to. Uh, I see two knuckles on my left hand, and I put my right hand on there. So both V's formed by your thumb and forefinger point to your right shoulder. That's how I started. His name was Hook, and that's the type of grip that from, kind of promotes a hook. Uh, but it's uh, it was most important. Jack, he played golf with me. He took me out on the golf course and played golf with me. Uh, he, uh, he was a very good amateur player, and uh, he, he loved the history of the game, and he, uh, he taught me the fundamentals of uh, how to play the game, the of how to play the game. And uh, one thing about Dad, he was never uh, he, he never accepted a mishit shot. It wasn't flush in the middle of the clubhouse. Even though I hit a ball, it went up close to the hole. He said, "Son, you didn't hit that solid." And so uh, he always stressed that hitting the ball solid was the most important thing. God brought you an angel. That. God brought you an angel early in your life named Stan Thursk. Talk about Stan Thursk. Well, Stan was, uh, uh, he was an assistant pro at, at Mission Hills Country Club, and he got the head pro job at Kansas City Country Club in 1961. He came over there. My father loved to play with the pros at the club. They, went out and they always had uh, dollar Nassau bets. You know, always, always played for money, and, and uh, so Stan he, he, he developed a very quick friendship with Stan and played some golf with him. And then then he would ask me uh, to play golf with him and Stan. And I loved to watch Stan play. He could hit the ball so far, and he was, he was a great player. He, I believe he played in 15 major championships as a club professional. How about that, Jack? Wow. 15. Wow. And uh, so he played in the U.S. Open, the PGAs, and, 
and uh, he could really play. A uh, wonderful man. He uh, uh, he uh, he treated every everybody beautifully, and he just had uh, uh, we, we we developed a very very strong loving friendship. How was it you attended Stanford University? My father, Harold, uh, brother was going there, so it was it was uh, it was legacy, and uh, I had. Uh, I had good fortune of getting accepted, and I went and played there and uh, played golf there. Uh, didn't have much of a program, Jack. The the, the annual budget for the program was eight thousand dollars, so we didn't get a chance to to travel like the kids in college do. Colleges do today, where they they fly all over the country and play competition everywhere. Uh, we couldn't. Our program we couldn't afford that, so we played a lot of local uh, uh, events uh, against high schools, junior colleges. Uh, you know, just to get some competition in, and uh, but it, that was still competition. I always enjoyed competition. That was, uh, I've been a competitor all of my life, especially with a, an older brother, Ridge, who was three years older than I was, it's bigger and stronger. I always wanted to beat him. <laughs> um, Palo Alto, California, right near Pebble Beach, Spyglass. Were you able to place those courses at Stan while at Stanford? Well, fortunately, I did. Uh, starter at Pebble Beach. His name was Ray Park. He was a member of the 40 Thieves. He loved to play golf and uh, played in the uh, you know, early morning, Saturday mornings at Pebble. Never both 75. 75 was the best I ever shot there. But I always played a game with myself there, Jack. Uh, when I got to the uh, 15th tee, I said, you know, here, is it, here I am right here. I've got a par in to win the U.S. Open. That's, that's the tournament I wanted to win the most. Also, one on the toughest golf course there is every year. And so I always wanted to win on the toughest golf courses. And so I played a little game with myself, as a lot of kids do. And I said, I'm not going to play the last four holes here. And I've got to, I have to make par. And I have to par in to win the U.S. Open. And, and I also kind of, in back of my mind, said, I got to beat Jack Nichols to win the U.S. Open. In 1982, when I um, I had a one-shot lead over Jack coming in the last uh, four holes, and uh, I finished him hard to beat him by two. You're being humble. On 17, you had that chip in from the rough on that famous par three, one of the most famous golf shots of all time. Well, that's lucky. But it, uh, the one thing about the chip is that uh, I, I put no out. Uh, I had to. It's a perfect shot that I also told myself, let me see if I can hit the flag. It was only about 16 feet from the hole, something like that. I was just off the green edge, but in the heavy rough on the down slope. And uh, my, my caddy was walking up there, and, and they put the bag down. I pulled the sandwich out. As I pulled the sandwich out, I, he said, my caddy Bruce, Bruce Edwards, he said, get it close. And I said, get it close. Hell, I'm going to hold it. Yeah. And an act of bravado, I guess. And uh, But I took dead aim and uh, hit, hit the perfect shot. I really did. I hit it right in the middle of the club face. And it came up really softly, high and soft, and broke to the right, went in the hole, and uh, I made a birdie. And now I'm one shot ahead. I was tied with him, going in 17, because I bogeyed 16. Uh, and uh, so I was one shot ahead. Now I had to negotiate the famous 18th hole, Pebble Beach, the par five with the ocean all the way along the left-hand side. And uh, 
as luck would have it, I made a birdie there and went by two. We're talking to Tom Watson. When we come back, we're going to ask him about June 30th, 1974. And I'm Jack Rasul, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rasula. We're with Tom Watson, who was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame in 1988. Tom, June 30th, 1974, a Sunday at Butler National outside Chicago, the Western Open. It's the first time you ever won. Tell us about that experience. Well, Butler National was um, uh, the first time we played there in, in the Western Open. They usually rotated uh, the very, all the great courses around Chicago, but then they said, you know, we're going to start playing at Butler National and keep it there every year. And uh, Butler National was designed by George Fazio, and he, he designed probably the toughest course we played on all year. And uh, there's a, it was uh, 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 it was long, windy, uh, narrow. Uh, it was really, really a tough golf course. You know, some water on it that made. You know, <laughs> Made you pucker a little bit, but it uh, it uh, was a tough golf course. I was playing pretty well. I had first couple, you know, good good first two rounds there. Uh, then the third round, I I, I, was, I was pretty close to the lead, or uh, I, don't, I don't know if I was in the lead or pretty close to the lead. And I I came into the 14th hole, which had water on the left, and uh, I ended up making eight. I made a quadruple bogey on that hole, and I ended up shooting 75, and I was several shots behind Tom Weisskopf, who was, who was in the lead. So Sunday's round went around, and, and uh, I go around the front nine. I guess I was I was pretty close to even part of the front nine, maybe one under or something like that. But Tom was, was, was staying ahead. He was, I think, he was ahead by about five shots, four or five shots. And uh, But then Tom had a hiccup at 13, uh, the par three. He made a double bogey there. And I, I and right ahead of him, I was playing, and I played the 14th hole where I'd made eight the day before, and on Sunday I made a three. I made I birdied the hole on Sunday, so they got me within two. And uh, as things would have it, uh, Tom hit it in the water at 18. And I ended up winning the tournament uh, for my first tournament victory, and it was a it was a special one because. One of the things about the Western Open, uh, I had played in a lot of Western amateurs. You know, I think four of them or five of them when I was a kid, uh, amateur. And uh, I also got invited to play in the Western Open as an amateur in 1968 at Olympia Fields in the south part of Chicago. So I made the cut there, uh, but I, I I had quite a bit of uh, – rela- I had a big relationship or good relationship with the Western Golf Association, which, of course – uh, they, uh, you know, they they organized and, and sponsored the Evans Scholarship Foundation, which gave kiddies, kids or caddies uh, scholarships to college if they caddied and and if they selected to be an Evans Scholar. And uh, so that was uh, that was the Western Golf Association. It still is their uh, you know their uh, their 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 object to you know to get kids uh, to caddy and then uh, get them into college. So. Anyway, I had a long heritage with that, with, with the Western already by 1974. And to be able to win the tournament was a special, special time. Talk to us, if you will, about learning to win. Learning to win had its, uh, had its downs before it had any, any ups, that's for sure. I had, 
several opportunities to to win a golf tournament, and I failed. Uh, and the uh, you know, the more I failed, the, the more it toughened me, and I hated to fail. And that's what, what I said. I said, how did you learn to win? Well, I hated to fail so much, I learned to win. But to learn to win, I, I found out that under pressure, I was going too fast. I was walking too fast. Uh, my swing got too fast. And uh, I, I learned to slow it down a little bit, just a beat with the walk. Uh, I learned also how to breathe deeper. And uh, the most important thing was it actually produced me to start to you know, produce some winning winning terms for me was all golfers are looking for a, a tee to their swing that makes it work under pressure. And I, in 1976, uh, I had, uh, I didn't have a very good year. I didn't win a tournament. Uh, previously, after the Western Open, I won a couple of tournaments with Byron Nelson and the Open Championship at Carnoustie. But 76 was an off year. I didn't play very well. I was struggling with my swing, looking for looking for keys that would make it better, as I always did, practice, you know, practice harder than anybody. Uh, and I went to Japan in the fall and in November and played in a, a U.S.-Japan team match. And I was playing horribly. I played in the Pro-Am, and I hit the ball so badly. I, was, I, was, I wasn't going to break 80. And I got to the 18th hole, uh, and I duck-hooked it, high duck-hook out of bounds. And then I hit my my you know, my next ball. Uh, I did the same thing. I hit another high duck hook, but it didn't go out of bounds. But it ended up on a lie where the ball was way below my feet. You have to bend over at the waist. And uh, I got over the ball, and I said, you know, I'm going to try something out of the box here. I'm going to try to take the club face back shut, and then on the, on the impact area, try to keep it over. And I absolutely hit a perfect shot. And I, and I said, wow. And so I went right to the practice tee. I practiced that until they honked the horn of the bus to take us back to the hotel, which took us an hour and a half to get to. And the next day was the beginning of the tournament. So I go to the – come out the next day, all excited that this was going to work, and went to the practice tee, and it worked. It was working really well. And I ended up winning the tournament, the tournament by about six shots overall. And I took that thought. Into 1977, and, and I, I, I basically started running the table. So I won the Ben Crosby, the Andy Williams. I won the, the Masters, again, the Western Open. Um, and then uh, I headed to, uh, to the Open Champ, the British Open Championship at Turnberry, where I played the last two rounds with Jack Nicklaus. Uh, we both shot 65. They tied for the lead on Saturday, and then on the, on the final round, it came down to uh, the last couple of holes. Uh, I made a birdie at 17 to go one up, and then Jack on the 18th hole made a 40-footer for birdie that forced me to make a, a, about a two-and-a-half-foot putt that I'd not stiff on my second shot uh, with the seven iron. Uh, and I made that putt. And walking off the green, Jack grabbed me by the neck, and he said, Tom, I gave you my best shot. It wasn't good enough. It just wasn't good enough. Congratulations. I'm really, I'm really happy for you. And when he said that, coming from the greatest player in the game, uh, I felt well, maybe my time had come, that I could play with the big boys. And uh, from there, you know, really, from there, my career uh, you know, just uh, it got better and better. 
And for about six or seven years there, I, I played some great golf. We're talking to Tom Watson. That was the 1977 British Open at Turnberry. It's known as the Tournament of the Century between Watson and Nicholas. When we come back, we're going to jump ahead 32 years later. And Tom Watson goes back to that same course, Turnberry. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. And we're with Tom Watson. Tom, you won the British Open five times. You go there to Turnberry in 2009. You're 59 years old. Talk about that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, please. Well, in 1994, I have to go back. 1994, I was, I was in a real, real bad spell of golf for about seven or eight years. And I was on the practice tee at Harbortown. And in the Heritage Golf Classic on the Tuesday practice round, after the, a lousy practice round, trying to find something that would you know, get me through the tournament. And I said, you know, this is, I've got to try something out of the box. And so I made it, I, I thought about Corey Pavin's practice swing. Corey Pavin's practice swing, he'd take the club way inside and then loop it out over the top uh, and come back to the left on his follow through. And I had a real hard time coming to the left of my follow through. And I tried this for the three iron, and I had a perfect shot. I said, whoa, that, that felt off. You know, I felt really weird because when I hit the ball, my right shoulder is a lot higher to impact. And uh, I hit another one that was perfect, and then I hit a third one. It was on, a little bit thin, but went, you know, went straight away, and my club went to the left. And I said, wow. That one change in my golf swing, Jack, uh, for the rest of my career, made my career and the, the remaining part of my career. I hit the ball better after that than I ever hit, hit it before. Uh, my putting wasn't very good, but I, I still managed to win a couple of tour tournaments, 96 and 98 on the tour, and then I got on the senior tour and I won several tournaments there. One was at Turnberry, the senior British Open at Turnberry. And so I and, and I continued to play in the British Open. Uh, so I arrived at Turnberry in 2009. I was playing really well from tee to green. My putting stunk, and so I played the first practice round with the Southland, and and I played great from tee to green, but my putting stunk. I was really dejected about how badly I was putting. And then the second round, practice round, on the very first hole, real short par four. I, I hit a little six iron from 138 yards, just short of the hole, uh, you know, front left in position. And I went up to, you know, to putt. And when I hit the putt, it ended up about a foot right and short of the hole from about eight feet. Lowest putt you could ever imagine. So I said, I got to try something out of the box. You know what? I kind of felt, you know, I've got to do kind of the same thing I was doing with my golf swing, get, the, get my shoulders rotating around my neck rather than the left shoulder going down and up. And all of a sudden, the ball started rolling great with the putter. So 
I stuck with that for the remainder of that practice round. Next day's practice round, we did the same thing, and I was really, I said to myself, you know, I can win this tournament. And the reason I felt like I could win the tournament was really kind of three three reasons. One was I was really now now putting well. My game was really solid. You know, Tita Green was great. Two, this is I played this course several times in major championships, and 95% of the field there in in 2009 hadn't played the golf course. Number three, the key was that I knew the wind was going to change directions and blow strongly from the northwest. All three practice rounds that blew strongly from the south. So the kids, they never had a chance to play with that type of wind in the northwest. And, and you know, it takes a time, it takes a while to adjust to a, a, a wind that you, that you haven't played on a golf course. So I went into it saying, you know, if I get off to a good start uh, on Thursday's round, and the winds predicted were predicted die down on, the, on Thursday and then change directions to the northwest on Friday. I got off to a good start. I could, you know, I could then, you know, knew how hard the golf course was going to play with the Northwest win. If I could stay around par the last three rounds, I had a chance to win the tournament. And that's what I did. First round, I got off to a really good start. I think I shot 66. And, uh, and I was tied for the lead after two rounds. And the third round, I was in the lead. And, and uh, you know, it was interesting to see how the press reacted to it. The first round, I go to the press, press you know, as you do when you're in the lead of the term, or close to it, ask you questions, and they and they, they ask questions. You know, they're kind of giving me my due and all that. You know, kind of laughing out of the corner of their mouth. Well, this old guy he had a good turn. He had a good round. Second round, kind of the same thing. Even though I was tied for the lead, third round I was in the lead. But now they have to start asking serious questions. Say, well, <laughs> you think you can win the tournament? And I said, darn right, I can win the tournament. I really believe that. And uh, so the fourth round came around, and, and I buried the 17th hole, 71st hole to go in the one-shot lead. And on the 18th hole, I hit uh, a hybrid right down the middle of the fairway. I had 187 yards to the hole, right downwind, strong wind. And I picked an eight iron because it, I, I wanted to fly it on the, the left uh, middle front of the green, just on the front, which it did. And unfortunately, with the wind behind me, the ball rolled over the green. I putted the ball from off the back of the green uh, uh, and up the hill and went about eight feet by, and then I hit a lousy putt. And I got in a playoff with Stuart Sink, and uh, he waxed me. He beat me by four shots. Uh, but, you know, the the thing about it was was that, uh, you know, I, I had the opportunity. I really felt all week that I, I, I could win the tournament, and I felt like, you know, after getting off to a bad start in the last round and coming back, I said, you know, I can win this tournament, and it uh, it just wasn't wasn't to happen. But the aftermath was what was really special. Uh, Hillary and I, after we were doing all the due diligence, going to the press room, talking about the chip shot uh, over the green. Why why didn't I chip it rather than putt it? And uh, uh, you know what it meant to me, and, and uh, you know all that television interviews, radio interviews. We walked up those ninety six steps to the Turnberry Hotel up in the hill get to our room, we're dressing for dinner, and Hillary gets a phone call. And she answers it, yeah, yeah, well, well, hi, Babs. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay, just a second. And she hands me her phone. She said, Jack wants to talk to you. And so I get on the phone, and Jack said, Tom, I did something today I've never done before. <laughs> 
I said, Jack, what was that? And he said, I watched your first shot to your very last shot. I've never done that ever watching television golf. I said, well, that's nice. And then he said, you won the tournament. I didn't win the tournament, Jack. He said, yeah, you beat everybody in the field. I said, no, I didn't. Then he described the 18th hole. He said, no, he said, you hit a perfect tee shot. You hit a second shot to the stop six inches shorter. You two-putt and easily win. The third shot, you hit the shot that wouldn't lose you the tournament, and that was kind of the key thought that you know, they wanted to know in the press room. Why did I putt it rather than chip it? Well, it gave me the best opportunity to get the ball close without uh, 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 maybe having a hiccup and hitting hitting it from tight up, kind of a tight line in the rough, and, and I could pop it out there with the putter. And uh, so I, I putted the ball. And then Jack said, and the pot? You hit it like the rest of us would have hit it, you dog. <laughs> and that cracked me up. You know, here he is consoling me. Here's the greatest player in the world calling call me that he knew how he knew the pit in my stomach. He knew how disappointed I was. He called me to cheer me up. And of course, we always played. When we played, we always were needling each other. And he just had to, he had to give that that kind needle to me where. Yeah, you hit it like the rest of us. What are you? What I hit it, you dog. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I always, always remember that, and always, uh, you know, be really grateful for him consoling me in the time of, you know, time of defeat. You mentioned the love of your life, the late Hillary, who you lost to cancer a couple years ago, and I found an article, Tom, where they quoted, you know, Bruce Edwards, boom, some writers, and they quoted Hillary a couple times. And one of the quotes from her is, Tom received thousands upon thousands of letters. He tried to reply to all of them, but it was impossible. Those letters alone from people who said they started pursuing their passions again after watching Tom, that in itself made everything worth it. In losing, he inspired thousands. And I'm Jack Rasula, and we're talking to Tom Watson. And this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Krizula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. And everybody that really knows Tom Watson well describes him in three words. Gracious, thankful, and humble. Tom Watson. God brought you another angel in 1973. You mentioned him, your caddy Bruce Edwards. Tell us about Bruce Edwards, Tom. Bruce was a young kid. He was just out of 
He was just out of high school, and he what he wanted to do was caddy on the tour. That was his passion because he had caddied at, at Wethersfield Country Club where they held the Hartford Open. He caddied for pros there because the, you know, the pros really didn't have permanent uh, you know, caddies back then. They just go to a golf course and pick a caddy to carry their bag for the week, and, and Bruce loved to do that for the pros. Dick Lotz was the first pro he caddied for up there. And so he, right after high school, he hopped on the bus and he got down to Florida and started his caddy career. And he caddied on you know, the career for, oh, a year or two. And, and uh, in St. Louis in 1973, he, uh, he was in the parking lot there. And uh, I uh, uh, was walking in with the Gregor bag over my shoulder, the green and white bag over my shoulder to go register through the parking lot, and I was kind of looking for a caddy. And uh, he comes up and he said, Tom, could I caddy for you? I said, well, first of all, I put, I put the bag down. I said, what's your name? He said, Bruce Edwards. I said, have you ever caddied before? Yeah, I caddied at the Hartford Open for Dick Lotz. And uh, I said, well, tell you what, I'll give you a shot. And so that day was about 100 degrees in St. Louis. It was the St. Louis Children's golf classic that Gene Littler won after coming back from uh, fighting cancer. Uh, it was his first victory. And uh, so we went up to the practice tee, and I, I hit balls for probably three hours in 100-degree uh, degree, uh, temperatures. Back in those days, we had to pay for, uh, for range balls. So he, Bruce, Bruce, I said, Bruce, go back and you know, get me some more balls. Get me some more balls. So he hung on the practice tee in 100-degree watching me hit balls for three hours. That was his initial indoctrination of Tom Watson. <laughs> I love to practice. I practice for one reason, just to get better. And anyway, that tournament, uh, I finished sixth in the tournament, and uh, you know, walking off the green uh, after finishing sixth, he said he was so excited, Bruce, because he made a little bit of money. Back in those days, we paid our caddies fifteen dollars a day and three percent of what we won. <laughs> so I went. $6,600, and what's 3% of that? It's not very much. Uh, but he said, can I caddy for you for the rest of the year? I said, hold on, hold on. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a shot next week at the Canadian Open. Uh, I'll meet you up there. And so that that was the start of a 30-year relationship for him caddying for me right there. He had a little hiatus in between. At the end of it, he caddied for Greg Norman for two or three years and then came back and caddied for me and, and then he, he uh, tragically contracted uh, that terrible disease, yes. ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, and he passed away. But uh, he was a great he was a great guy. He loved to caddy. He would rather caddy than doing anything else in his life. And uh, uh, his glass was always half full, never half empty. Whenever I got in my pity pot on the golf course, he kicked me in the butt, say, "Come on, we can do this. Let's get it up and down." That's what he said at the 17th hole Double Beach when I hit the ball in the left rough, tied with Jack at the U.S. Open 82. I walked off the tee, and that's why he said, Bruce, that's dead. And pretty much was dead. But he said, come on, come on, we'll get it up and down. He was always, always a cheerleader, and he was a great caddy. Man, could he putt. He was a great putter, and I, I, I never let caddies uh, – pick my clubs or read, read my greens until, until Bruce came along. And uh, one day we were, we were <laughs> fooling around on the, on the putting green, and I said, here, 
see if he can putt. So he started putting, and man, could he putt. And I, I figured, you know, if he can putt that well with good speed, uh, I'm going to give him a shot at re- helping me read some putts that I, was unsure, that I was unsure of. And so he he ended up, you know, over my back reading the putts when I was you know, for the majority of my career. 3% of $6,600, Mitchell Watson, is 198 bucks. Okay. Yeah, but you forget the, uh, the $15, 15 bucks, day. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. That, was 90, that was $90 right there. All right. Come okay. on. Uh, you won the Masters in 77 and 81. It's the, the auras unlike anything other. Let's go to Friday, April 8th, 2016, 5.25 p.m., it's your last walk up the 18th hole at Augusta. What was that afternoon like? Well, when I played that last uh, tournament at Augusta, last my last Masters, uh, my caddy was Neil Oxford, and he had caddied for me on the senior tour after Bruce died. Neil was actually the person who inspired Bruce to go up and ask me to caddy for me in 1973 in St. Louis. He was there in the parking lot. As Neil said, he said, hey, Bruce, here's Watson. He's going to be pretty good someday. Why don't you go ask him to caddy for And so, anyway, Neil was on my back uh, coming up the last hole, the, you know, going up the hill to the 18th hole at Augusta. And uh, he uh, started lagging behind. Uh, and, yeah, and I said, no, no. You're going to walk right up to the green with me side by side. And so we walked up to the green side by side. I remember hitting the ball to the back of the green and finished on the right front. And uh, I almost made the putt. You know, it was about a 70 footer. It broke about 15 feet from the left to right. It was, it was a heck of a good putt. And that was my that was my last go at the Masters. But it was. Uh, uh, it was it was time. I couldn't hit the ball far enough, Jack. I couldn't hit the ball to uh, you know, to successfully compete, and uh, so it was it was time to hang them up. Well, two years later at the Masters, the 2018 Par Three contest, you're 68 years old. You didn't have to hit it far, and you won that Par Three contest. Well, you don't have to hit it far in the Par Three. <laughs> I mean, most of the shots you hit are wedges or nine irons, sand wedges, is so. a and I, I was still playing pretty good golf at that time. So, as luck would have it, I I, I made six birdies and and uh, ended up winning the par three contest. And now, since 2022, you've been one of the honorary starters on Thursday morning. I think with Nick Laus and Gary Player this last year. What's that like on that Thursday morning, Tom? Well, it's it's a great honor. Um, and I'm very humble about it. I, I'm not in the same class as Nicholas or Player, but I, uh, when Fred Ridley, the chairman of the Masters, called me, he said, Tom, we'd like you to, to join Jack and Gary. I said, you know, Fred, I, I, I'm, I can't carry their shoes. Come on. He said, no, Tom, we think you you deserve uh, to, to, to be an honorary starter there, and we'd love to have you do it. You know, by the way, uh you can do it for as long as you'd like to do it. And that was so generous of him. And I said, I'd be honored to do it, Fred. And, and that's when I started in, in um, 2022 and did it again last year. And, and 
I hope to be able to continue to do it uh, for many, many years to come. There's been 10 billion of us to walk the face of the earth. God made two phenomenal Tom Watsons. One we've been talking to for the last hour. The other one, a little more than 100 years ago, started a company called IBM. Tom, what you've done and the way you've done it with the graciousness, thankfulness, humility is unbelievable. Thanks a million for doing this for us. Jack, those are very kind words. I appreciate them. But, you know, golf is a game that it, it, it creates uh, it creates a humbleness in people because you, you learn pretty quickly that uh, golf can be the most frustrating game there is. And you, know, you have to deal with that frustration. You have to, and you're humbled by it. You may be, you know, you may have a stretch of golf where you're playing great and you never think you'd ever play badly again and all of a sudden it turns on you. And so it teaches you a lot of life lessons and in the sense that you know you have to, you know the great thing about the game, the greatest thing about the game is you take it. You can take all the credit for a good shot, but you have to take all the blame for a bad shot. And uh, that's life. That's that's the way life is is played. And it's played just like golf. Thank you. Please join us next week. Until then, I'm Jack Prasula. Thanks for listening, and make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spawn. Believe-